0: Welcome back to the Life, Liberty, and of Happiness Project. Um, today, I have with me uh, author Lars Hedbor. Um, he is a, a prolific author, uh, writing about mostly the American Revolution, and he is someone who um, I have a lot of respect for, has a lot of varied interests, and I think will be uh, someone that you would enjoy hearing about um, and hearing from. So, Uh, Lars, welcome. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. I'm very pleased to have you. Um, So it says, by way of introduction, um, I stole this from uh, the media section on Lars's website, um, because this about me stuff is better than what I was going to try and write for an introduction. Uh, So uh, what it says here Uh, is, what made the American colonists turn their back on their king and fight for independence? How were they different from us, and how were their hopes and fears familiar to our own hearts? These are the sorts of questions that Hedborg thinks are important to ask in examining the American Revolution, and in the pages of his novels, he suggests some positive answers, excuse me, possible answers. His first novel, The Prize, was published in 2011, um, he then published almost every year since then, uh, making Headbore one of the most prolific novelists of the American Revolution. He's also written extensively about this era for the Journal of American Revo- of the American Revolution, and has appeared as a featured guest on any excuse me Emmy-nominated Discovery Network program, The American Revolution, which premiered nationally on the American Hit Heroes Channel in late 2014. He later appeared as a series expert on America Fact versus Fiction for Discovery Networks and was a panelist at the Historical Novel Society's 2017 North American Conference. He's an amateur historian, linguist, brewer, cuckoo clock restorer, fiddler, astronomer, and baker. Professionally, he's a technologist, high school foreign exchange coordinator, marketer, writer, and father. His love of history drives him to share the excitement of understanding the events of long ago and how those events touch us still today so uh did you write that yourself a uh, fair summation i'm sorry did you write that yourself i did yeah
1: <laughs> it, very you know, well our, done. our favorite subject is always ourselves you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> very well done um thank you so there's a lot in there just to unpack in that that introduction um, so, I'm I'm fascinated by um, all these different roles that you play, from historian and linguist to brewer, cuckoo clock restorer, uh, fiddler. I didn't know about that one actually. Um, astronomer, <laughs> baker. Um, you've got a lot of things going on.
1: You know, I I like to keep out of trouble. Uh, <laughs> the fact is is that I I have. I have a, a, um, a broad set of interests because everything interests me. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a hard time understanding people who uh, look out at this, this amazing world that we inhabit and don't feel just an overwhelming sense of curiosity about everything that they see. Um, and w- we're fortunate in that we live in an era where we can indulge that curiosity uh, and, sure. and do it um, with, with you know, amazing resources. Um, you know, I can, I can literally do a Google search and learn how to, uh, repair the most, uh, obscure cuckoo clock, uh, mechanism, uh, or how to, uh, you know, how to improve my, my, uh, uh my Boeing for my fiddle, uh, or, uh, you know, what, uh, <laughs> What a uh, a prostitute in Havana in 1781 would have smelled like. Uh, <laughs> that is an actual research question that I had to I had to look into at one point.
0: <laughs> oh goodness, riding leads. Believe us it or it. not, somebody had an answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely believe that riding leaves us down some very interesting rabbit holes. Yes, definitely.
1: Uh, um, yeah, I mean, the, the most recent book that I've, uh, that I've published, uh, The Siege, um, I, uh, I was writing about um, the experience of being stuck in Yorktown uh, during the American siege of, of Cornwallis' forces there. And, mm-hmm. and um, as, as your uh, uh, viewers and listeners may recall, uh, that was the final serious battle, final major ma- battle of the American Revolution. Uh, and uh, it was a a really terrible siege. Uh, the the British were trapped uh, on a uh, on a uh, essentially a peninsula um, with uh, land forces on one side, American land forces on one side, joined by the French under Rochambeau, uh, and then uh, trapped by sea uh, with uh, the uh, French fleet uh, having blocked their um, their escape. Um, and so, you know, the, the sorts of questions that I had to research in order to write that um, included, um, you know, being able to find literally uh, a day-by-day journal written by one of the, uh, the German uh, uh, soldiers, one of the German officers who was part of the British force there. Um, and, you know, getting that, that uh, firsthand account and being able to incorporate details from that into my story and, and you know, projecting that onto how my characters would have seen the same mm-hmm. the same information, um, because you know my characters in this in this book uh, are on the American side, um, I do try to take a, a fairly broad view of the American Revolution uh, because I think there's there are magnificent stories to be told um, from all kinds of different angles. Um, the one that I've just finished writing uh, that is uh, will probably come out sometime in 2021. Uh, is uh, told from the point of view of a, uh, a prisoner of war uh, mm. taken uh, at the Battle of Saratoga. Uh, so this is a British soldier uh, whose story I'm telling. Um, and I got started writing that one because I uh, came across uh, first of all we we hear about the you know the big the big defeat at, at Saratoga. That was the first major battle in the American Revolution. Uh, where the Americans won. And that was actually the battle that convinced the French to to uh, come and help us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was in Saratoga, New York, um, uh, down near uh, present-day Albany. Um, and, uh, you know, we all we all kind of hear, oh yeah, the British surrendered and, and that's kind of where we leave it. And then we forget, well, those soldiers who surrendered, what happened to them after that? And uh, I was writing a, a book about another uh, prisoner of war a couple years ago and came across this citation that that explained that those, that army, that whole army was held captive throughout the rest of the American Revolution. For the next five years, they were held captive and they were marched from place to place all over the United States, Uh, all over what was then the 13 colonies. Um, So they started out in New York, they were sent to, 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 uh, excuse me, to Massachusetts and then they were forced to march all the way down to Virginia, uh, and just mm. and it was called the Convention Army, <laughs> mm. and it was one of these things. I was just like, "Oh my God, I never even heard about this before." Yeah. You know, of course, this this army surrenders. Something has to happen to them. But I, you know, I just figured, oh, they got exchanged. No, they were held captive for the remainder of the war. Wow. Uh, absolutely, absolutely amazing story. And so I, you know, what I'm to back up a little bit. What I'm trying to do with my, my uh, series is uh, I'm trying to write a book for each of the colonies or future states, um, and I'm trying to tell the stories of ordinary people um, because there have been plenty of books written about Washington, about Jefferson, and now we've got Hamilton is, is uh, very popular right now. Um, hardly anybody takes us to sit at the dining room tables and the kitchen tables of ordinary people as they struggle with the uh, incredible events that were unfolding around them. Um, And uh, very few writers have let us see those struggles um, and see how the decisions that ordinary people made wound up shaping history. Um, Even if the people involved didn't make it into the history books, Mm -hmm. those ordinary people are the ones who actually made the history happen. Um, and so I think those stories are completely fascinating to to explore. Um, the other thing that I try to do with my books is I try to tell stories about events and incidents that um, we don't often hear about uh, when you know in our classroom histories of the American Revolution. So you know I've got one book that's about a scientific expedition that took place right in the middle of the of the war. Uh, to go up to uh, modern day Maine, it uh, was then part of Massachusetts, uh, to observe a solar eclipse. Um, and we have a, a wonderful letter from President Hancock uh, to the British, uh, to the commander of the British garrison up there, um, because that area had just fallen to the British in uh, America's greatest naval defeat until Pearl Harbor. <laughs> okay, so that's a history that we don't even hear about. Yeah. And then in that, in that context, we then have this um, scientific expedition that's taking place uh, from Harvard, uh, and so I put us there in in the barn where the Harvard expedition sets up uh, and let us see that that, uh, that that solar eclipse, that total eclipse, through the eyes of uh, one of the farmers. Um, and so you know, I, I I find these these little incidents, these little stories, uh, and then I also try to find Points of view that we um, don't often get. So um, my book set in New York is uh, it takes the point of view of the uh, of the Iroquois Nation, the Haudenosaunee. Uh, and uh, the thing that that most uh, students of the American Revolution, or at least the casual students of the American Revolution, um, don't necessarily get an appreciation of is that uh, the Haudenosaunee were they had a, a confederation that had lasted for 300 years and it was ripped apart by the American Revolution as um, most of the tribes, um, it was a, a confederation of six tribes, uh, six nations. Uh, most of them stuck with their, uh, their longtime allies, the British, and two of them peeled off and joined the Americans. Uh, so I, I let us see that, that heartfelt conversation among the elders of the tribe uh, as they make that, that wrenching decision to uh, to back the American side, um, and that's that's a, a perspective that I think is really important to understand that that um, our struggles affected uh, many more people than just mm-hmm. just the colonists and, and the British. Um, and the other thing that that I think is important to understand is that the American Revolution was a global war. Um, the final battle of the American Revolution. I haven't written about this yet, but I'm, I'm planning to, and I'm looking forward to it. The final battle of the American Revolution took place in India. It was the Siege of Cuttack, uh, and uh, what happened there was you had French a French colony and an English colony that, because France and, and England were at war over the American, you know, over the question of American independence. Um, they ended up at war there too, and so after the signing of the Treaty of Paris, after the war was over, they had this this battle there in India, and uh, that battle was resolved when word of <laughs> the end of the war reached them, um, which of course you know in in the age of sail and and uh, at a time when uh, information traveled no faster than the fastest horse, mm-hmm. um, that that sort of delay was was fairly common. Um, so you know understanding that that the American Revolution was not, it was not a simple question of um, good Americans fighting against bad Englishmen, uh, it was not a simple question of um, even, it wasn't even a simple question of Americans fighting uh, just for freedom, there were many reasons that, that Americans chose to fight, um, and you know some of those uh, have been suggested by some contemporary historians uh, that um, I find unconvincing um you know having to do with um you know America, the claim that americans were fighting to preserve slavery i don't i don't find that convincing based on um um what i've read of uh you know the newspaper i, I read the newspapers i read the, the uh, journals i read the letters mm-hmm. of the people who lived at that time and and that was uh, that was not a motivation that they had um but they weren't all fighting just for you know, liberty uh, writ large, they were they were fighting for their own individual reasons in many cases, uh, and sometimes those reasons were uh, as simple as uh, you know the, the the very serious abuses of of, of authority that the British uh, um, representatives did indulge in. Um, in. My my New Hampshire book, uh, which came out uh, uh, last year, um, explores one of those instances uh, that happened actually well before. Uh, the revolution started um, and it was called the uh, the pine tree by it uh, which your new hampshire listeners and, and uh, viewers may be familiar with um, and essentially what happened there was um, <laughs> so to, to give a little bit of context um, America at that time was uh, very heavily treed a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of really fine pine trees uh, particularly in the northeast and uh, there was a, a, a uh, declaration from uh, the king that any tree that was suitable for use as a mast for the Royal Navy uh, was it became the property of the king, of the crown, um, and that was uh, sort of regardless of of any grant of land that you might have gotten. Um, and what that meant was that you couldn't you couldn't cut those down, and you had to work around them if you were trying to clear a piece of land or, or harvest lumber. And um, many Americans resented that, and uh, it, the, the, that that law was, for a long time, observed more in the breach than in than in, <laughs> in obedience. Um, and then the governor of New Hampshire decided that uh, he was going to crack down, and um, in cracking down, he he uh, fined a couple of, of um, loggers, and uh, uh, when they refused to pay their fines, um, he uh, uh, he sent out um, uh, his sheriffs to, to go and, and uh, enforce the fines. Uh, and there was a riot at a place called the Pine Tree Inn, which is why it's called the Pine, the Pine Tree Riot, um, where uh, these men basically found where the sheriff and his, and his deputies were staying, and uh, uh, burst in and uh, beat them uh, nearly to death, um, maimed their horses, and disappeared off into the night. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, and that happened, I think, as early. I think it was 1771. So it was it was very early on in in the uh, sort of struggle between the Americans and the British. So you know, it's a lot of stories like that.
0: that yeah, for sure. That's, that's... <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, that final battle that you referred to in India. When did that take place?
1: Uh,
0: 1783 I believe okay Uh, it was so really I mean when you think of the American Revolution we we think of you know 75 76 was when it really kicked off and then went you know I think mostly it's considered done 79 I think is what most people consider Um, but really it was a full decade there it sounds like
1: yeah yeah I mean there was there was conflict Going all the way back to 1770, um, the Boston Massacre. Uh, I should know this, and I don't. Uh, I think I think that was I think that was maybe 1770, mm-hmm. um, and there were there were various acts of uh, civil disobedience and not so civil disobedience. Um, there was the uh, the burning of the uh, the gas Bay, which was a um, a revenue cutter uh, that was burned in uh, in Rhode Island, and its commander was shot. Uh, and that happened uh, well before uh, Lexington conquered. Um, and Concord I, and I would regard that as as probably the first shot in the war because anytime you're you're uh, shooting at a a naval officer um, that's pretty much an act of war
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's a big thing
1: <laughs> that's that's kind of a big thing <laughs> uh, and yeah it, it you know the, the the battle it's the war itself uh raged and the other thing that that we often forget or or don't don't get taught is that uh, for the majority of that time, it really looked like the Americans were gonna lose. Uh, And I think think most people who were on the ground during that time would have said, yeah, this is is not going well. Um, Almost all of Washington's dispatches to Congress are talking about how he's having to retreat and having to to run uh, to preserve his forces so that he can battle another day. Uh, and in the end, that turns out to have been a very, very smart uh, uh, strategy. Um, he was basically using the, the, uh, the land area that he had available to him uh, to, to grind down the British. Um, because he understood that the British had, at the end of the day, the British had a logistical problem. Uh, because their supply line stretched all the way back across the ocean. Um, whereas Washington's supply lines were much shorter, uh, and obviously both sides were were um, foraging, uh, and sometimes in uh, both sides uh, foraged <laughs> to, to use a polite term for looting and and raiding and taking mm-hmm. what they needed. Um, but you know when it came down to things like gunpowder and and um, uh, bullets and so forth, Britain had to bring most of those in. They, they didn't have local supplies, whereas the Americans did. Um, So Washington made use of that uh, to really, uh, you know, prolong the war and stretch it out and then grind down the British to the point where when uh, Yorktown, when when news of Yorktown reached London, uh, that wasn't considered the end of the war, but um, essentially parliament got that news and said, you know, we've been doing this for five years more, and um, this is the second or third major army that we've lost that you know has has laid down arms and has been taken prisoner. Um, this isn't worth it to us anymore. You know, th- these American colonies are not worth the trouble. Uh, let's let them go off and fail on their own, and, and we'll go we'll go on and, and uh, you know, we can we can ship all of our prisoners and so forth down to Australia. Uh, we don't we don't need the American colonies for that, um, and. You know, they're costing us more than they were. Um, and in the end, that, that argument prevailed. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, the, the other aspect of that, and this is, I think this is something really key to understand about the American Revolution. In many ways, it was a war between European powers that took place on our shores. Um, because the French and the Spanish and the Dutch all jumped in to one degree or another and um, it, that you know, they had they had all had conflict long before the revolution, and the revolution, our our American, our War of Independence, uh, was a continuation of that conflict in many ways for
0: them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, we don't hear about a lot of that. You know, mostly we hear about the French involvement uh, on our side, but I can see that being a wider conflict. Um, I know you know we hear about the the German um, mercenaries, uh, the Hessians um, that, that fought on our side as well. But I know you mentioned a little bit ago um, a German officer that's fighting for the British. So did they employ uh, German mercenaries as well? Well,
1: the, the Hessians were were almost all uh, British soldiers. They they were, they were almost all fighting on the side of the British. Oh, man, um, we. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> again, it's a complicated picture. Um, the, we, we did have a few um, officers from various German powers, or various me, European powers. Um, some of our most famous officers, uh, foreign officers, were men like uh, von Steuben, who was Prussian. Uh, that's modern day Germany. Um, of course, Lafayette. Um, I'm I'm mispronouncing his name, Uh, uh, was he was uh, from modern day Poland, Um, and then the name that I want remembered in that company uh, that has been almost entirely forgotten is uh, the Spaniard uh, Bernardo de Galvez. Um, Galvez, I I wrote a book uh, based in uh, the colony of West Florida called The Wind. Um, And the reason I wrote that is I found this story um, of the Spanish, how the Spanish saved the American Revolution that we never hear about. And it is an epic, amazing story. Uh, And I've tried to do it justice. Um, I'll I'll lay out the the basics of it. Galvez was the Governor General of uh, uh, Spanish Florida uh, in, excuse me, not Spanish Florida, Spanish America. Uh, he was in um, uh, what's now well, it was then to uh, New Orleans, um, and being there in New Orleans, uh, he was in a position to uh, help the Americans uh, smuggle down the Mississippi, uh, right past the British forts on the Mississippi. The British had intended to come east from the Mississippi and attack us from from behind, essentially. Uh, negating that, that advantage that Washington was making use of of that, that vast land between uh, the ocean and the Mississippi. Um, Galvez, um, quietly before Spain joined the war, um, did his best to, to assist us by uh, permitting smuggling of, of American goods down the river. As soon as uh, Spain entered the war, Spain did not ally with the United States. Uh, they didn't recognize us. They lied instead with the French against the British, (laughs) which worked basically the same way, but there's a diplomatic difference there. Um, As soon as that was done, he put together a force to go up the Mississippi and attack the British emplacements on the Mississippi. Just before he was gonna head up the Mississippi, uh, a hurricane came through and destroyed his fleet. So he went overland, took all three forts on on the Mississippi. Uh, I think he lost two men. <laughs> some 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 crazy uh, and and used absolutely brilliant tactics to um, to force the the British out. Um, and so by doing that, uh, he prevented the British from coming overland. But he was not done. Uh, he uh, set his sights next on uh, what is today the site of Mobile, Alabama, Mobile Bay. There was a large fort there, uh, Fort uh, Charlotte, it was called at the time. Um, And it just happened to be under the command of an old friend of his. um, But he didn't let that stop him. He he assembled a force, uh, put together a fleet. As they sailed into Mobile Bay, another storm came up. he lost a lot of supplies and actually had to wait for reinforcements from Havana uh, before he started the siege there. We have a wonderful series of letters between him and the commander of the fort there at Fort Charlotte, um, saying, you know, basically he's saying, okay, I've got you surrounded. You can you can surrender with dignity and honor. And the uh, the British commander writes back and says, no, I've I've got reserves that you don't know about, and, and just you wait, you, you'll see, and. Um, so uh, Galvez writes back to him and says, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna knock down one of the walls of your fort. And by the way, that, that column of smoke that you see over there, that's your house burning. Um, <laughs>
0: <Yikes>. <laughs>
1: Sorry about that, but you know, I had to do it. Knocks down one of the walls of the fort and the British, the British commander says, okay, fine, you got me <laughs> and, and surrenders. Um, so Galvez takes that part of, of the Gulf Coast and now he's he's actually into British Florida. Br- uh, Florida at that time was two colonies. Uh, both of them were British, and both of them were loyal. Um, and again, th- that was one of those things where I got started writing this because I was at a dinner party, of all things, and a friend of my father's approached me and said, so when you get to write about Florida? I was like, Florida? Whoever heard about Florida in the Revolution? He says, Yeah, that was, it was a couple of colonies, and and they stayed loyal. And so that's a great story. I said, okay. (laughs) So as I started researching it, I found this story. So that left the the last major British uh, uh, holding in Florida was uh, at, um, oh, crap, I'm forgetting the name of the place now. Um, Oh, this is embarrassing. Hmm. It's up up along the Gulf Coast. Uh, it's a major city today. Um, oh heavens! Well, it'll come to me, I'm sure. Anyway, this is this is the the major British fort, um, mm-hmm. and so in order to attack it, he puts together a very large fleet in Havana. As they sail out of Havana, another hurricane comes. Up. I mean, I'm, you you can't make this stuff up. So this is three attacks, three hurricanes, three storms. Oh, okay. This one actually sank about half of his fleet and he had to uh, give up and and, uh, go back to Havana, limp back to Havana, the ones that survived. Um, Killed a lot of people. That was actually, it was part of a a hurricane season that has been the most deadly on record uh, in history. Uh, Because uh, either that storm or another one, I'm not entirely clear on which one, um, actually hit a an English fleet and a French fleet at sea and sank the majority of them uh, and killed like twenty thousand people. I mean, it was it was wow. horrendous. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is this is not a a, a small set of storms. These are major storms. Um, but anyway, so the the next season, uh, Galvez puts together a new fleet, goes in and uh, and uh, takes takes this last British fort. Um, and winds up taking all of uh, Florida, east and west, from the British for the Spanish, and, and they held Florida until uh, we took it away from them later on in history. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you know th- we have this amazing story. This guy is he is uh, you know personally uh, heroic and brave, and we hardly even remember him. And I think that's that's a real shame. The only place that his name is really remembered is in the name of the city of Galveston, Texas. Hmm. Um, and you know, honestly, he should—he should absolutely be right up there with Lafayette and and uh, and uh, von Steuben and, and all the rest. Uh, he 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 was one of the major contributors to American success in, in the American Revolution.
0: Wow! Yeah, it sounds so, so telling that story.
1: Him. Yeah. Well, and that's that's what I'm trying to correct. Um, you know, we—it's—it's <laughs> it's actually the timing of it was really interesting. Just after I wrote and released that book. Um, Congress finally, 240 years later, finally kept the promise that they had made to Galvez uh, to hang his portrait in the halls of Congress, and uh, they also granted him honorary citizenship, um, which is a uh, that's something that's only been only been granted to a very few uh, uh, men uh, o- over American history, um, so. I, didn't, I don't think that my book had any part to play in that, but the fact that, that uh, there is a growing awareness of Galvez um, was a nice coincidence with the release of my book.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and you've done a great job answering. I was wondering, um, as I was looking at your books that you've written, um, I noticed you had one about Florida and I, I looked that up I'm like, that wasn't one of the colonies or one of the 13 uh, I'm like, wait a second and then I saw another one about uh, Nova Scotia and I'm like, now I know that one for <laughs> sure was not part of the US ever <laughs> um, so I, I was kind of curious where, uh, where some of these fit in and um, why you've kind of chosen to write about the different colonies but I think you've really answered that very, very well um so you've got 12 books currently in the series um how many do you expect to have when you're all done
1: i don't have an actual count yet um it it will probably probably be somewhere north of 20 by the time i'm all done Mm -hmm. um just because uh, as as you noticed i'm i am taking an expansive view of the of the colonies that i'm going to talk about um, obviously, I'm going to get the original 13. I haven't gotten all of those yet, um, but you know, I've, I've written about Nova Scotia. I've written about uh, uh, West Florida. I've got a story that I want to tell in East Florida. Um, there are magnificent stories to tell in um, uh, throughout the Caribbean uh, that, that I think are, are well worth exploring. Um, and um, you know, for completeness sake, uh, I will certainly find something to talk about in, in uh, Quebec. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the other uh, maritime provinces in Canada, uh, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll find stories to tell. Um, you know, Maine, uh, although it was part of Massachusetts at the time, I've told that separately from my Massachusetts book, um, and the Massachusetts book is the one that I just finished because uh, the, the major action of that book takes place in Massachusetts, even though it is about a British soldier. Mm-hmm. Um but, uh, you know, and, and I don't know if there's a whole book to write about uh, the action in India, but there probably is. Um, and uh, that's, that's one that um, will be very, uh, very challenging to write just because there's so much other history, Indian history, that I would have to really yeah. absorb and, and, and roll into that. Um, it, it's, I've studied some of it, and it's, it's a very rich and very rewarding history to, to look into. Um, but um, trying to tell a story around that um, without having the whole thing just be, remember this piece of history that you've never heard of before.